Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I have Ralph Rebant with me. Ralph is the pastor of Oakland Hills Community Church, an OPC church in Farmington Hills, Michigan, just outside the Detroit area. Ralph, we're really glad to have you today. And I thought I'd just jump right in. People are going to get to know a little bit about you and your church, but I thought I'd kind of jump in with a question. Um, I have noticed in my years traveling in the OPC that you and your church and your congregation is a church that people will point to and say, hey, I think they're doing a pretty good job with outreach and evangelism. I think, I think they're somebody that's kind of intentional about things. They seem to, to work on this and think about it. And so I wondered if you could start by telling us a little bit about how you think about evangelism and outreach in the church and how you make it, if the right word is intentional, how you think about it that way and how you sort of create and cultivate a a culture where your people are thinking about it. And then we'll sort of run from there. So great to have you and throwing you right in the fire. Brad, thanks a lot. That's a loaded question. Um, Yes, we are extremely intentional. And I think as I consider uh, the last uh, 33 years of ministry here at the same church, uh, one of the things that really has driven me to be evangelistic is that when I came out of a non-reformed background, all my friends said, when you become a Calvinist, you don't evangelize. And so I've been trying to live my whole life to uh, demonstrate to people that's not true. It's the reason why I evangelize, because I know God will use However imperfect my presentation is or however smooth it is, the Lord will use that presentation in whichever way he desires, knowing that his word will not return to him void, but it will accomplish that which he pleases. So that's uh, that's been my uh, motivating desire to glorify God by making sure that people hear his word. Uh, you know, in terms of intentionality, um, I, I really believe that for a church to be evangelistic, it, it has to begin uh, at the top with the pastor. I, I don't in any way want to take any credit for this, but the the desire that I have to see lives changed is something that really filters down into other people's lives. And when somebody comes to faith in a Reformed church, it really transforms the the culture of the church because they realize that God is real, that he has brought somebody out of a lifestyle of uh, addiction or a lifestyle of atheism And when that person stands up and gives their testimony on a Sunday morning, when they're becoming members at our church, it energizes people. I've also seen the the neatest thing about that is uh, young people sit in in our church, see the power of the gospel. And that really is just uh, an exciting thing to see. Uh, it, It transforms their little lives because they get to hear somebody say, this is the first church I've ever been in or I've never even thought about Jesus until uh, I got a flyer in the mail from this church or went to a conference. So, yes, we're very intentional. Uh, I would also add, and then I'll come up for air, um, (laughs) the Sunday morning service uh, at our church, uh, I make sure that I present faith alone in Christ. Because as a young pastor, wow, uh, probably 
30 years ago, we had a gal visit our church. I presented the gospel in a Sunday morning service. She put in the plate and talked to my wife and uh, me afterwards and said, I would like to know more about faith in Jesus Christ. So we set up to have her come over to our house for lunch on a Tuesday afternoon. She called Tuesday morning and said, I can't make it. I have to take my mom to the hospital. That gal took her mom to the hospital, came home that night and died in her sleep in her early 20s. And I wondered to myself, did I present the gospel clearly enough that if that was her only introduction or association with Jesus Christ, would she have had enough information to have a childlike faith to get her into heaven? I ended up doing her funeral and it was uh, it was very difficult and emotional back then. But those are the type of things that transform your ministry when you have unbelievers present and you get responses like that. Uh, it, it just drives you to your knees and makes you want to pray that the Lord will use our presentation, however imperfect that it is, to draw people to Himself. Yeah, that's a that's a, a powerful example, and you're right. The the energy that everybody receives seeing what Christ is doing in advancing His kingdom in somebody like that is is powerful. Um, you mentioned that it starts sort of with the pastor. I wonder if I can ask you to go to the next step now. So that it starts at the top with the pastor, but then how do you encourage, cultivate as a session of elders throughout the congregation, those that are staunchly reformed and come in, those that are brand new, how do you create that sort of outreach, outward focused environment? One of the things that we do is run a evangelistic uh, small group or growth group every few years. Uh, we haven't done that in recent days, uh, but we do that to equip people so that they can feel confident in sharing their faith. The interesting thing is uh, each time we've run that, we get to the point where we do role plays. And if there were eight or 10 or 12 people in that class, by the time we get to role play, usually one or two show up. And uh, it, it's, <laughs> it is really funny because it's like, all right, where'd everybody go? But the fear of it, the fear of sharing the gospel, the fear of messing up. What if I say something that someone might spend eternity apart from God? What, what if I say something like that? I, it really shocks people. And the interesting thing, Brad, I, I just finished having lunch with a fellow who uh, is in an independent Baptist church. And all of my friends who are pastors, even outside the OPC, say, that it's difficult to get congregations to be motiva motivated to really share the gospel. But the way it filters down is when you get a family or an individual uh, to who didn't know Christ, makes a profession of faith in Christ, and then, as I said, gives that testimony on a Sunday morning, it energizes the congregation. And so when we do that, it's an opportunity to when that happens, that's a key point and a key opportunity to say, you know, all of this, all of you can be sharing your faith. And we all don't have to present the gospel as if we've been seminary trained. Uh, it was Andrew who went to, uh, to Peter and said, hey, we found the Messiah. That was it. Come and see. And, you know, th those were his words. It was an invitation to see Jesus, to meet him. And he didn't say much more than that. And so those are the type of things that uh, really work energizing people to understand the faith. If you don't mind me asking, not because like numbers are everything, but I'm curious how often or how common is it? I don't, I don't need a specific number. How common is it 
for your church to have one of those testimonies where somebody says, I didn't know Christ. Now I'm here wanting to join the church because I know Christ. You know, churches vary, Reformed churches vary quite a bit in how often or how that's a great question. It varies by year, as you might suspect. Um, we've had as many as uh, in the teens on a given year, and we've had three or four on other years. But I would say that I would say that for the most part, we have people making professions of faith every year. And how often that is? Um, well, we already had one this year in January. We we received a family. the The husband had never made a public profession of faith and joined the church. Um, so we were excited about that. I remember about four years ago, we had a, a new family come visit our church and we have greeters at the door and they came, they, this family walked in the door and it's like, oh, hi, how are you? You know, fine. And uh, one of the greeters asked him, so uh, do you attend a church anywhere? Do you go anywhere? And uh, after he had made a profession of faith in Christ, he told me about this story and we've since changed the questions at the front door. But he said, I was tempted to lie. <laughs> Say, well, I'm coming from St. John's. But he said, but I've never really gone to church at all. But he said, when I came here, I said, this is a church that I want to be a part of. And so it reminded me of that verse in 1 Corinthians 14, when uh, Paul says, if there's an unbeliever present, that he should fall on his face and say, surely God is among you. And, you know, Brad, I, I, I hate to open a can of worms here, but I, you know, I worship Reformed churches all over the country uh, when I'm traveling, when I'm on vacation. And I'm not sure that many, if any people, have that experience when they go through our worship service. I think for the most part, they're uh, because they're not indoctrinated, and I use that in a good sense, they don't know the program, they don't know what to say, they don't know what we do next. Unbelievers, when they walk into a Reformed church, are pretty much cold to what's going on. And the question I have in my mind and that, that really convicts me every time I get up in the pulpit on Sunday morning or I do the call to worship, trying to invite people to experience the joy of our salvation, I ask myself, am I boring? Is this service going to have people walk away indifferent to Jesus? Or am I presenting him with a passion that people will see that there's something different about the message they're hearing, something different about Jesus? that this church has that other churches don't. To push you a little bit on how you work those things out. So you started to mention preaching, call to worship. What what does your Sunday service look like? You obviously, if you have people consistently professing faith, you obviously have to pay attention to that category of people as you lead worship and elders lead worship and you preach. Do things come to mind? I, I know you've been doing it a long time, so it seems normal to you. Are there things that that you're doing intentionally or preparing for in a way that you think come out, not because you're great at it, but in a way that you're that, that come out maybe a little bit different than standard, if we put air quotes around reformed Sunday service. Yeah, the intentionality of it all is something as simple as when I do a call to worship and I read from a psalm or some other passage of scripture, I usually tie it into something that has happened that week. You know, like the, the riots at the Capitol building, um, I read Psalm 46, though the nations totter, you know, God is our refuge and our strength, you know, our fortress. And it doesn't matter what happens uh, in Washington, D.C. or what happens in your heart this week. It's that God has ordained this moment for you to be here at this church on this day in 2021. 
So those are the kind of things that I do at the beginning. I try to make it personal. Also, it's just something as simple as when we're singing, oftentimes when we're up front, if we're holding a hymn book or a piece of paper on which the words are for the songs, we're looking down at those words. And it, you know, and, and because we're singing down, people can't see our faces. And it's as if we're just morbidly looking down. And so I will encourage uh, newer elders uh, that when you're up front with me, leading in worship, doing the congregational prayer, to smile, to, to lift up your head and look out in the congregation and have the joy of the Lord in your, on your face when you're uh, leading worship. I don't see that a lot in Reformed churches. I have to tell you that, you know, we're just, we, we look like we're just standing there going through the motions. And um, I'm not saying that I put on a show, but I really have the joy of the Lord in my heart and I want to project it. How about in your preaching? I, I don't actually know your background, where you were trained. I, I, I don't think I've ac- actually ever heard you preach. I, I wonder how you think about preaching both Reformed and yet accessible to people walking in off the street, to people like the person you referred to who walked in your door and said, I, well, I really haven't been to church. So are you thinking about illustrations in a certain way? Are you thinking about expositing in a certain way? I, I know we have lots of guys who will say, you know, if you use certain words, define them. We kind of know those things. I wonder if you go a little bit beyond that in your experience in thinking about how to connect with somebody who hasn't been in church life until maybe today. Well, you know, back in my seminary days at Westminster, the uh, one of the student uh, helpers uh, listened to my sermons and he said, you know, Ralph, he said that sermon you preached today could have easily been preached in a Jewish synagogue. And I said, why is that? He said, well, you did a great job expositing the text, putting it it's in historical context. But he said, you really didn't bring Jesus out in that. And he said, our goal in preaching is to bring out Jesus. And so. I, that really stuck with me, and I'll, I'll never forget that. And so as a young pastor, that's been my desire. And as I'm going through, like right now, my sermon series is in Matthew on uh, Jesus, the son of David. And so I'm taking passages from David's life, and I'm either contrasting or comparing with Jesus, who is greater than David, David's son yet greater than David. And by doing that, it gives me the opportunity to share how Jesus did live a perfect life and how he completely was devoted to the will of God. And that meant going to the cross, uh, whereas David was counting his people to, uh, out of pride, Jesus was humbling himself. You know, those kind of things that bring us back to uh, the beauty of the gospel and the amazing work of Christ on the cross. Um, I know there's a difference in preaching that, you know, I remember hearing a, a Reformed guy one time preach on 1 Corinthians uh, 13, the love passage, and he said, you know, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. You, you know, and I'm not sure that's what <laughs> preaching Jesus is all about. Just illustrating each verse with Christ, each word with Jesus. Um, uh, that is one way to do it. And I'm not going to criticize him for that. But that's not my style. My style is to make it relevant to the people who are listening, whether they're, they've been in a Reformed church for decades or whether they're new people off the street. I want them to know that Christ addresses the issues in their lives today. And their greatest need is obviously salvation by faith in him alone. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, If I could maybe broaden the conversation a little bit to your congregation, 
So obviously you gave, uh, you said that clearly we could use the word consistently, that people are consistently making a profession of faith, regardless of whether it, you know, switches from season to season and year to year, it's consistently happening. So therefore people are bringing people in, they're inviting people in. What, what types of activities over the years provide an opportunity for congregants to invite family members, friends, and acquaintances? Do you have a standard kind of go-to? Does it vary? Are there certain ones that have been much more helpful than others? What kinds of what would be a kind of couple examples to give us a flavor of what things look like to see those people even show up at church eventually? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll just name a few things over the years that we've done, and um, we'll start with that. We've had marriage seminars, and when I say that, we Really, if we put on a seminar, we put it on big. We send out flyers, mailers, uh, put bulletin board notes everywhere we can. And we do that to flood the, the neighborhood around us to let them know something's going on. And then we leave it up to the Lord. And we've done that with marriage seminars. We've done that with family seminars. We had a seminar called America's Christian Heritage Seminar. Um, We've also had mission seminars that we've invited the neighbors to, to see what God is doing around the world, uh, missions conferences. We have had, we've really tried to work on small groups and inviting people to those small groups. Now, it's not always successful, uh, as you would know, even this past year has just been a disaster, but that uh, doesn't stop us from at least being conscientious about inviting people. We put a sign out front that said, worship is essential uh, in front of our church. The first day we had a woman come and she said, I'm going to come back. And this is, you know, I just lived down the road and I appreciated that sign. Um, that Sunday night, we had a man come visit as well with his daughter. And, you know, just simple things like that. One of the things that we do annually as a church, and it's a big hit, is we, uh, because of I, because of me being a chaplain and uh in the, for the Michigan Chiefs of Police and a chaplain for the local community, Farmington Hills Police Department, and then another department about 15 minutes away, that's given me an opportunity to reach out as a pastor to those, uh, those men and women in blue. And every year we have what's called Law Enforcement Appreciation Sunday. On that Sunday, we raise money for a police officer who has fallen through the cracks financially. For example, there are women who have cancer and because their cancer and their treatments go on long, they use up their vacation time. And if there's comp time from other officers who will say, hey, I'll give you a week of my vacation and then pretty soon it's all gone and now they've lost their job, they've lost their house. And so we raise money for people who are in that condition. That The neatest thing about that is people come to church who would never have been in church before. We have uh, a group of guys that come on their Harley Davidsons with their black leather vests, no t-shirt on. Uh, they're undercover police officers who ride Harleys. And um, it is just, it's incredible because these guys come and I'm at the front door when they come in and you know they, they're usually coming with a friend who's been there before. And uh, this one guy walks in the door and he looks up to the ceiling and it's like, I, I'm just making sure if I get struck by lightning, I can at least jump out of the way because it'll come through the ceiling. Like he's never been in church before and he's afraid yeah. he's gonna get struck. So anyway, uh, these guys come and the interesting thing is they come back. 
they come back the next year. And this this Law Enforcement Sunday has grown. We Our, our church has really gotten behind it as well. And the ladies make a tremendous spread. We, we tell them that there's just going to be donuts, but uh, they're, they're really homemade goodies that are just incredible. And uh, people join us. Uh, they bring friends. And it gives us an opportunity to raise money for, as I said, those who have fallen through the cracks financially. And we've raised uh, almost $100,000 since we've been doing this uh, over the past wow. 10 years. So it, it's gotten us on the books. People know who we are. And so the church has really gotten behind that. And we also have, well, before COVID, once a month, we have Lou, which stands for Lunch on Us on the first Sunday of the month. And the idea of having that every month is that every family would be intentional about inviting a guest. And so on that first Sunday of the month, I really make sure and pray that God will use the message for those who are are guests and may never have been in church before. So that's the whole idea of the the loop, to have them stay after church, uh, to eat lunch with us and get to know us. And uh, there have been families that have come through that that door as well. So that lunch on us, uh, if I could just pick that one, uh, I don't know how long ago you started it. How has the response been from your own congregation? Was it hard in the beginning to get people to kind of step out and invite somebody or was it more natural or did it take time? Like. How did your people respond to that idea and how has it gone over time? Uh, To use a a cliche, they ate it up. Okay. (laughs) They really did. The congregation thought this is a really good idea. Um, You know, it's it's a typical potluck meal. And uh, the ladies at church decided, well, let's make it a themed meal. So we have um, Mexican for Cinco de Mayo, we have, uh, you know, turkey uh, on uh, in December, you know, just a lot of things that have really coordinated it to be more than just a hodgepodge of food. But everybody, seriously, this has been going on for probably 25 years. And we, we really had to do that in order to survive. We were going off financial support from the denomination and from Presbytery. And we had to think of something creative to invite people. And it's, uh, it's created a culture where people uh, have been, you know, invite their friends on that first Sunday of the month. Any other examples? I, I mean, those were great. And I've, never, I've not heard of the Law Enforcement Sunday. I'm just give, giving you a pause to say any other examples of ways that over the years people have had opportunity to bring other people in and invite them uh, to church. If not, it's fine. I just yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things we did uh, two years ago, the the Christmas before COVID, or two Christmases before COVID, we had a musical at church. We we've got quite a bit of musical talent at our church, and we did what was called Pickler's Alley. Uh, my wife wrote a history of Christmas, and it starts out with plain song, uh, you know, the oldest uh, Christmas carols from the hymn book to even more recent things. We had uh, some gals at our church dress up like the, not, not completely like the Supremes, but they sang a Christmas song from the Supremes that enabled them to, that enabled us to invite friends and neighbors to that event uh, so that, you know, we were more of a today church than just, uh, a, you know, a 15th century or 16th century church planted in the 21st century. So um, it, that, that was a fun experience and people loved that. And it brought us all together as a church because people had to use their artistic talents to make props. Uh, the musicians were involved. Uh, there were, you know, uh, snacks afterwards. So it really brought everybody together. And that, that was really a, a neat event that we did. 
Yeah. So those show some of that intentionality we were talking about. Yes. Um, those give some, some put, put some flesh on those uh, examples or those ideas. Two things you said prompted my next question. I want to ask you about, you, you mentioned um, the guys coming in on Harleys and you've mentioned some people coming who weren't church. And I, I want to ask you about how you welcome new people on a Sunday. And I'm thinking here all the way from website to saying goodbye or possible hospitality. Two things stood out to me. One, you told me at one point that the questions that the greeters used changed. That shows me some intentionality. And you mentioned that you're at the front door, which I don't think if we surveyed a lot of Reformed churches I don't think we'd have a lot of pastors at the front door when people are arriving. So that shows me some intentionality. And I'm wondering if you could lead me through some thoughts or some ideas about how you think about welcoming brand new people to this crazy world of a reformed church, sort of from start to finish. Sure. Um, the interesting thing is that I, I'm pretty sure when people walk off the street, whether they find us from the sign out front or think our building looks good or they have a friend invite them uh, or, you know, the website, they aren't coming because we're a reformed church. And that I believe is refreshing uh, in a real sense because they're going to hear the word of God presented in a way without the jargon of reformed theology. Uh, that has always been a pet peeve of mine because back when I was in uh, seminary, attending a, a Reformed church, uh, you know, the, the pastor spoke over everybody's heads. And, uh, you know, I wanted to invite people to that, uh, to our church, but I knew that they would get lost in the, the jargon. And so that has been one of those events that colored the way I look at Sunday morning. So in terms of welcoming people, I want them to feel welcomed by the things that they hear. I want them to know that Christianity began 2,000 years ago, that it's still relevant today where they live. So when those people walk in off the street, and it's not every Sunday that I'm at the front door. My wife is usually at the front door every Sunday. But on Sundays, like when we welcome people back for the first few months uh, from COVID, outside uh, welcoming people, trying to make it look as welcoming and normal as possible. That particular Sunday of um, Law Enforcement Sunday, I am at the door on that Sunday. And if we are having a visitor Sunday or something special, I'll make sure that I'm there to greet people to, to make sure that they feel welcome. Uh, the fact that my wife is there is also helpful because people feel like they're making a connection uh, with the church as well. But we have uh, people who are uh, really good at welcoming people. In fact, that's one of the things that visitors constantly say. This is probably... And, it's not me because I'm not at the door every Sunday, but they say this is probably the friendliest church they've ever visited. That, that's what the com one of the most common comments we get from our, our, uh, our visitors. As I, as I look at the questions, we do train our greeters. Uh, we have a list of questions and we did have a meeting after <laughs> that gentleman told me that he thought about lying in church uh, for the first time. And, uh, he, you know, we said that's not a good question to ask people. So let's uh, let's back. Let's take that one. If we, it wasn't even on the list, but let's not even have that one in our minds. So, yes, we, we don't want to offend people at the door. Um, the, the other thing, Brad, I'll mention, and I know this is probably something that my reformed brothers will probably not like. But the name of our church, Oakland Hills Community Church, doesn't say 
Reformed in it. It doesn't say Orthodox Presbyterian. And the reason why is when we began our church uh, in 1987, the name of it was New Hope Presbyterian. And in parentheses OPC, which we still have that on our bulletins and on our website, it's very clear that we're a Reformed church and we do find people from that, and or they should say they find us through that. But when we were thinking about changing the name, uh, I had people telling me in our community that you're too conservative to be Presbyterian. So we looked at the New Testament, and it's the church at Corinth, the churches of Galatia, church at Ephesus, Laodicea. And we saw that the church was named by its region or city. And so we felt that that would be a key factor in identifying us with the community. I also did a survey, uh, a phone, a random survey. Farmington Hills opened up the phone book. I'd put my finger down on the name, call the number and said, if you ask them the question, if you know nothing else but the church, about the church, but its name, what would you most likely attend? Calvary Baptist, Faith Presbyterian, Hope Lutheran, or Farmington Hills Community Church, Oakland Hills Community Church, Faith Community Church. 100% of the people who were unchurched said we would go to the church that has the name community in it because it sounds more welcoming. 100% of the people who wanted the denominational title were already denominationally connected and in a church. So that said to us, we, at least in our community here in Farmington Hills, we need to change our name to make it more welcoming. And uh, you probably know who Neil Tolzma is. Uh, he's a retired OPC pastor from Milwaukee. And he was a mentor for me. And I, during that time when we were discussing this, I said, Neil, what do you think about changing our name to uh, something with community? And he said the most profound thing to me. He said, Ralph, you want the name of the church to attract people and Christ to offend, not the name of the church to offend, and they never hear of Christ. So thanks, Ralph. That's really helpful. I think our listeners will appreciate a number of your thoughts. Thanks for being kind of open about those things, and, and we're really glad you took the time today. Brad, I am encouraged to know that our fellowship of churches is interested in reaching out. It it really warms my heart to know that there are young men who want to go into ministry who have a heart for the lost. There's nothing more powerful than lifting up Jesus when he said, if he is lifted up, he will draw people to himself. And the reality is that he does that. When he's preached and proclaimed, people come to him. And uh, I, I'm just excited to know that you're doing the podcast, that the uh, Home Missions uh, Committee is working on getting helpful information uh, to our uh, other churches and uh, young pastors in ministry. So thank you. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.